premillennial, pre-tribulational, dispensational, independent, and standing on the inspired and preserved Word of God, the King James Bible, as our final authority. This is the Sword of the Spirit podcast with your host and Bible teacher, Joseph Rusiello. Take your Bible, sit back, and join us as we open and study the Word of God. And now, here's your host. Hey folks, welcome to another episode of the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Joe Rusiello, and it is great to be with you once again as we open up and study the Word of God on this hot, very hot Monday morning here in Eagle Pass, Texas. And my prayer for you this morning is that wherever you are, whenever you are, and on whatever platform it is you're listening to us on, that you find yourself in the grace of our Lord and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, before we get into the Bible study this morning, would you please visit our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and uh, go over to our contact section, and why don't you send us a message. You know, just let us know whatever's on your heart, whatever's on your mind, uh, any questions or comments, and especially prayer requests. You know, I would really love to hear from you guys. Uh, if you don't like to use those web forms, that's fine. You can email me directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com, and I'll get back to you as soon as I possibly can. And folks, while you're on the website, would you look for that support this podcast button? And if the Lord leads you to do so, would you please consider supporting this ministry? We've set the uh, contributions up for $0.99 cents a month, four ninety nine a month, and nine ninety nine a month. Now, I'm not good at asking for support. I tell you that every week, but all I'm going to ask you is that if you want us to help, if you want to help support this ministry and you want to help us get the gospel out, you want to help us to expand and keeping the lights on, keeping the servers running and, and, and so much more that we'd like to, to get ourselves into, would you please consider a monthly contribution and you know, we will thank you for it. Uh, I'd also like to say thank you to all of our current supporters, those who support us prayerfully. Uh, we covet those prayers and, and uh, those of you who support us financially. And, of course, to all of our listeners, thank you so much for being here every week. And, folks, listen, if you're in the Eagle Pass area and you're looking for a good King James Bible-believing and Bible-teaching church, would you please visit us at First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass? Our Sunday school hour starts at 10 a.m. Our worship service begins at 11 a.m. Our Sunday evening service is at 6 p.m. And our Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. For more information on the church, you can visit the church's Facebook page. Just log into Facebook and search for First Baptist Church of Eagle Pass. And when you get there, you'll find a lot of good information about the church. You'll also find uh, archived episodes of this podcast. And speaking of which, you could also find this podcast on Spotify, Anchor, Spreaker, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and now we are on Google Podcasts. So wherever you're listening, be sure to share it with your friends, your family, and your followers, and help us to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have any uh, any sparkling announcements for you today. Um, uh, just want to say thank you for uh, everybody who's tuned in to our live broadcast last Sunday uh, for Father's Day. Thank you so much for those of you who have tuned in. And also want to say thank you to all of those who downloaded the episode. I appreciate that. Uh, it was a kind of a special one for me because I got to talk about my dad a little bit, both of my dads, uh, my father in heaven and my earthly father. And uh, also uh, yesterday I was able to preach at uh, First Baptist Church and um, – we had a really good service, and we we taught on the principles of prayer, which I'll bring to us as a podcast episode in the coming weeks. 
So it was a it was a good day, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to do so. Um, so let's get into our prayer requests. Our prayer requests. So we still we're still praying for Bernice and Adam uh, for Bernice's health. As I told you before, Bernice has been uh, battling cancer for quite some time, and she's on a new treatment plan that seems to be uh, really effective for her, and we're thankful for that. So we want to continue to pray for Bernice and her healing. We're going to pray for her husband, Adam, uh, as he uh, as he works and as he tries to help out as much as he can with the family uh, when he is home, and we want to pray for his safety and for his protection while he's out on the job. <clears throat> we also want to pray for... Uh, Continue to pray for Pastor Martin over in Ohio. We want to pray for his health. We also want to lift up my mom uh, for her salvation first and foremost, and also for her health as well. We want to pray for my sister for her salvation, my granddaughter for her salvation. And uh, speaking of my granddaughter, um, I found out that my daughter is pregnant again, and uh, we're very excited about that. So we want to pray for my daughter as well. Uh, my daughter got saved when she was uh, quite young. I want to say she had to be probably about six or seven years old, maybe a little older than that, when she made her profession of faith. And, uh, you know, so we want to just pray for her health and we want to pray for her walk with the Lord. And uh, we also want to pray for the baby that's gone the way. And we're so excited about that. And uh, we also want to pray for uh, my son in law, who will be uh, uh, going into service with the Border Patrol. And to, into training. We're going to pray for him, for his uh, safety, for his protection and his success, and for his uh, for the Lord leading him in his life. And uh, we want to pray for my friend David back in New York. We're going to pray for his salvation. And uh, David, I've witnessed to many times over the years, shared the gospel with many times over the years, and uh, we're still praying for him. We're still praying that he accepts the Lord Jesus Christ as his Savior. We also want to pray for my in-laws for their salvation as well. And uh, so, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for all that you do for us. Father, we want to just lift up these folks on our prayer list to you. Those for salvation, Father, we pray that you would work in them, that you would draw them to yourselves and that they might be saved. We want to pray for their health. And, Lord, we also want to pray for, and I forgot to mention, I want to pray for the uh, kids that we have from our church that are in camp and summer camp right now. Um, we're going to pray, Lord, that their time of fellowship with other believers would be one that's enriching to them. We want to pray for them that they would be a good testimony to the Lord Jesus Christ and that they would return to, from camp with uh, a closer walk with the Lord. And, Lord, we will thank you for it. So, Lord, we want to commit all these things to you. We ask you to bless the message today as it goes out, and we'll thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, folks, so we're going to take a short break here, and uh, that'll give you the opportunity to go get your King James Bible if you didn't already do it. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or a bottle of water, and when we come back, we'll be getting into our study today in uh, biblical political science. So don't go away. We'll be right back. This book contains the mind of God, the state of man, the way of salvation, the doom of sinners, and the happiness of believers. Its doctrines are holy, its precepts are binding, its histories are true, and its decisions immutable. Read it to be wise, believe it to be safe, and practice it to be holy. It contains light to direct you, food to support you, and comfort to cheer you. It is the traveler's map, the pilgrim's staff, 
the pilot's compass, the soldier's sword, and the Christian's character. Christ is its subject, our good its design, and the glory of God its end. It should fill the memory, rule the heart, and guide the feet. Read it slowly, frequently, and prayerfully. It is given to you in life, will be open in the judgment, and be remembered forever. It involves the highest responsibility, rewards the greatest labor, and condemns all who trifle with its holy precepts. The King James Bible, God's Holy Book. All right, amen and amen and amen to that. Now, um, I'm going to ask you to forgive me because I don't know if you noticed it, but I've been struggling a little bit here this morning. Um, got a little bit of a scratchy throat, so uh, I'm just going to ask you just to just to bear with me as we get through this uh, study today. I might be pausing a little bit more than usual for some water, uh, but uh, would you take your Bible and would you turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to try not to let this scratchy voice get in the way. 1 Timothy chapter 6, and we're going to begin in verse uh, 15. I think the Lord kind of laid something on my heart here uh, for us to deal with, and uh, I think we're going to get started. With, we're really just going to use one verse today, and then we're going to build up on that. So 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 15, which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, this morning, I'm going to give you a little material on biblical political science. Welcome to the Ruciello Institute of Advanced Conservative Studies with a Biblical Basis. <laughs> Amen. I don't even think I could say that again if I tried. Um, well, a potentate. What's a potentate? A potentate is defined as one who wields controlling power, a person who possesses great power or sway, a prince, a sovereign, an emperor, king, or monarch. Now, our Bible calls the Lord Jesus Christ the only potentate. And I like that word only, don't you? The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And from the context of this verse, it's obvious that, that the name deals with the subject of government, right? Now, the Bible is a book that deals with that subject extensively. As a matter of fact, if you were to take your Bible and you were to categorize every verse in your Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22, you would discover that the Bible spends more time talking about government and related subjects than any other thing. Now, yes, salvation is in there, and I'm glad salvation is in there, and I'm sure you are too. But when you really analyze the book in its entirety, you'll find it talks more about kingdoms and all the ramifications that grow out of that tree than any other subject. Government. The Lord's interested in government. And really the theme of the book from beginning to end is, is really it's, it's who's going to run who. Now right now, the prince of the power of the air, the god of this world, is running most of what's going on around us. But I'm glad we have confidence in the only potentate. Amen? He just, he just hasn't declared and demonstrated all of his power that's yet to come. Now a potentate is all-powerful. And now there, there, there are several forms of human government, and I don't want to belabor this because I have a lot that I want to get to, but briefly, just to mention them in case you haven't been exposed to them, there, there are several forms of government. One of the most predominant forms of government, not only today, but in history, is a monarchy or a dictatorship. 
And that's basically defined as ruled by one. In its purest form, it doesn't exist today. Okay? Probably the purest form of dictatorship in history was Nebuchadnezzar. Now, he was a real dictator. He's represented by the head of gold in an image in Daniel chapter 2. Now, in reality, a dictatorship, well, a good dictatorship, is the best form of government there is. You can't beat it. It's really the best form. The problem is it's only as good as a dictator. All right? Does that make sense? Now, you've got to have a good one or you have a really bad government. Amen? And that's what the world is headed for. And that's what they're asking for. That's what the world is clamoring for right now. That's what they're desiring, a dictatorship. And you know what? They're going to get it. They're going to get it. And they're going to get it in the person of the Antichrist. But that's a whole other subject. All right? Uh, there's another form of government called an oligarchy. An oligarchy. And that's, that's, that is rule by few. Rule by few. That's defined as a government by which a small group exercises control for corrupt and selfish purposes. Um, good example of that would be China. All right, Controlled by few. The Communist Party. Uh, the Persian Empire was run that way back in Daniel chapter 6. Uh, studying the book of Daniel is a great study in government and politics, by the way. There's, and then there's you have a democracy. Okay? Democracy is defined as ruled by the majority. And, and honestly, that's what the news media would like you to think that you believe or like you to believe that you live in today. All right. A democracy. They would want you to believe that because that's the word that's perpetually flung around. Now, of course, that's not what our forefathers envisioned. That's not what they had in mind when they set this thing up in, in the country in which we live. They never envisioned a democracy. They never envisioned rule by majority. Uh, you know, conse consequently, we don't say, you know, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the democracy for which it stands. No, we don't say that. We say to the republic for which it stands. There's a fundamental difference between a democracy and a republic. I don't want rule by majority because, honestly, the majority is going the wrong direction in this country. Amen? Amen. Now, unfortunately, over the last hundred years, uh, the Supreme Court, by their own admission, has predicated the majority of their decisions on what they perceive the majority to desire in this country. And that's why we've had so many bad decisions out of them, because they're basing decisions on what they think the majority wants, not according to what the Constitution says. Now, just this past week, the, the uh, Supreme Court reversed a ruling on uh, one of those tremendously bad decisions on Roe v. Wade. All right. Uh, and, and we're thankful for that. And uh, that's, that's what we're talking about here. Now, a republic, by definition, is simply rule by law. Rule by law. Now, let me read to you. And we're going to come back to your Bible and, and, and make a real biblical analysis of the whole thing momentarily, momentarily. But let me read to you the first paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. I'm going to read it slowly. And I'm going to read it carefully. When in the course of human events... It becomes necessary for one people to dissolve the political bands which have connected them with another and to assume among the powers of the earth the separate and equal station to which the laws of nature and of nature's God entitle them. A decent respect to the opinions of mankind requires that they should declare the causes which impel them to the separation. Now, that's all one sentence, all right? That's quite a sentence right there. You know, folks don't write 
like they used to, do they? You know, you know, we have a wonderful education system, don't we? I mean, things are just getting better and better and better, you know? And you'd be sore pressed to find one graduate of Texas A&M that could write a sentence like that. Uh, you'd look a long time before you could find one graduate of the University of Texas or Columbia University or Baylor or Rice uh, that could put anything like that together. It would, you would look a long time. I'd like to see them to produce some folks like that. I would. And just as a sidebar, do you know that most of the people that participated in the writing of the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution were schooled at home or at church? Think of it. Think of that. It's incredible. Well, it's produced some real geniuses in this country, but that's another subject also. The paragraph goes on. We hold these truths to be self-evident. Now, what they have declared so far is that uh, is they deemed it appropriate to declare that the time had come because of human events that a separation was compelling them to be sought. They felt absolutely and utterly compelled to seek this separation from the British Empire. Well, now they begin to tell you why. We hold these truths to be self-evident. In other words, any dummy ought to see this, right? I mean, that's what self-evident is. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. Now, I'm not sure that they believe all men are created equal any more than I believe it. All right. Some of those men held slaves. But you see, they believed it in the context in which they said it. Don't misconstrue what they said. And, and don't disconnect from the podcast here and say, hey, Brother Joe is advocating slavery. That's not what I said. I didn't say that at all. But I don't believe that all men are created equal. And if you got any sense, you don't believe that either. Some are smart and some are dumb. Some are strong and some are weak. Isn't that right? Not everybody is created equal. And anybody with a lick of sense can see that. And in the context, in the context, we can appreciate what they're saying. Now, I'll back up and I'll, I'll, I'll start from here. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, that to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. So what they declared in this great document that we hold to be so wonderfully applicable to our lives today is simply this. It's the purpose of government not to give rights, but to protect rights that are unalienable rights given to us, not by man, not by government, not by the president, not by Congress, but by God. God is the great right giver. So if you have any rights, it's because you got them from God. It's not because you got them from the NAACP. It's not because you got them from Martin Luther King Jr. It's not because you got them from anyone else. It's because God gave them to you. And if you can't find concrete evidence that you secured them from God, then maybe they don't belong to you. Think about that. Our forefathers then recognized that certain unalienable rights were given by God and it was the responsibility of government to protect those rights. Samuel Adams spoke on those rights in November of 1772 and here's what he said. And I really want you to tune in on this. I want you to get this. 
Here's what Samuel Adams said in 1772 about these unalienable rights. Quote, These may be best understood by reading and carefully studying the institutes of the great lawgiver and head of the Christian church, which are to be found clearly written and promulgated in the scriptures. That's what Samuel Adams said in 1772. He said, we're talking about these unalienable rights. He said, where can we learn about these rights? He said, we've got to go to the Bible to learn about these rights. Do you know what those men were? Those men were great thinkers. Do you know where they learned how to think? By reading the scriptures. That's where you learn how to think. Oh boy. Now they called these that they called for certain rights. They called for certain rights, some of which I've already read in the first paragraph of the Declaration of Independence. Now these rights are called for in that great document as well as the Constitution and some of the amendments that we have. Uh, one of the first rights that they called for was the right of liberty. The right of liberty. Now, I don't have time to address all of them today, but I want to zero in on about five of them, okay? I want to show you five rights that I hold precious, that I believe you hold precious to you, and where we got those rights from. I don't derive these five unalienable rights from my government, nor did my founding fathers believe they would derive from government. But you see, the whole, the whole thing has been so flip-flopped in the age in which we live, that they want us to believe that it's the government that gives rights. No, government is here to protect the rights that I already have. And what are these rights? Well, number one is the right of liberty. Would you take your Bible and turn to Psalm 119? Psalm 119. I bet you never thought you'd get preached to from the Declaration of Independence, right? Mm-hmm. Amen. Psalm 119, verse 44. So shall I keep thy law continually forever and ever, and I will walk at liberty, for I seek thy precepts. Do you know what God was interested in having his people do? He was interested in having them enjoy their liberty. Consequently, he freed them from Egypt. Every time they lost their liberty, it was because they directly violated and left off walking in the law that God had given them. Remember, republic, by definition, is rule by law. The second best government, the first best government is yet to come. When the potentate, the only potentate, the king of kings and the lord of lords shows up, we'll have the best government. Until then, the second best, the second best is a republic, which is rule by law. That's what God set up for Israel when they left Egypt and crossed the Red Sea. God said, all right. I'm going to give you a law to live by. Do you know what Moses is? He's the administrator of the law. He didn't write the law. He didn't make up the law. He simply administered it. Amen? Now, as God is, as God is the one that gave it, uh, when Israel broke the law, when they walked away from the law, when they turned their back on the law that God gave them, inevitably, they lost their liberty. If you would, look with me in the book of Judges the book of Judges in chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. Now here's one of the many examples of that very kind of thing taking place. God has declared that I have an unalienable right to liberty. Now there's a spiritual application that we're going to try to make out of this momentarily. We're speaking more in the realm of the political right now. Judges chapter 6 and verse 1. 
And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. So to what extent did they lose their liberty? Well, let's read on. And the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens, which are in the mountains, and caves, and strongholds. They lost their houses, they lost their lands, they lost their possessions. That's losing liberty, folks. And so it was when Israel had sown that the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites, and the children of the east, even they came up against them, and they encamped against them, and destroyed the increase of the earth, till thou come unto Gaza, and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. So they began to nibble away at their income. And pretty soon they consumed their income. Pretty soon they were just working for peanuts. Well, why? Because the foreigners came in and gobbled it all up. Why? Because they did evil in the sight of the Lord. That's why. Verse 5. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitude. For both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. So do you think it was God's plan for them to be greatly impoverished? Was that the heartbeat of God for his people to be languishing in poverty? Now, I'm not preaching prosperity gospel. I think you know that. But get the other side of the picture. God desired liberty for his people, not bondage and chains and fetters, but they lost it. Why? They did evil in the sight of the Lord. The longer we go, the less liberty we have in America. There was a guy back in New York where I lived, and he was a nice guy. He was a gentleman. He lived near our church up there. And our church was in an area called Tottenville, and it was, it was uh, considered an historic area. It had a few old farms and whatnot. But this guy lived there, and he used to come to our Bible study. He wasn't saved, and we prayed for him. He eventually got saved, and I'm looking forward to seeing him in heaven. Uh, but he had an old barn on his property. It was a historic landmark. It was built back in... I think it was like the late 1850s or early 1860s. <clears throat> and the problem was that that barn was starting to sag. And, and you know, a barn that old is going to sag a little bit. You know, it's kind of like me. <laughs> okay. You know, I'm sagging a little bit too. But I'm not nearly that old. Uh, the, barn, the barn had started to sag out toward the road a little bit. And the barn had been there before the road was. So what he decided to do is to prop it up a little bit. So he took some old telephone poles and he sunk them in the ground. And he built a little shed type roof pointing upward to up toward the barn and you know he figured on getting two things out of it you know support for the barn and a little extra storage and it was honestly it was really a hardless a harmless harmless little venture just trying to preserve this historic landmark but one day he goes out there and there's, there's this great big orange stop work order on it well what happened is as the city inspector came along and and told him well you can't do that you don't have a building permit and he said, well, wait a second. This is my property. I'm just trying to prop up the barn. Well, you have to have a building permit. Beside that, you have to be more than 50 feet away from the road, and, and you're at 47 feet. Uh, you know, you don't have the liberty to prop up your barn. So the guy goes down to City Hall. He t they tell him he needs to apply for a variance, which he did. And he jumped through all the hoops. He paid for the variance, and he goes down to get his building permit. And the engineer said that they couldn't give him a permit on what he had because, after all, it wasn't according to code. So then they told him that he had to take pressure-treated pressure poles and put them four feet in the ground, not the telephone poles that were three feet in the ground. He said, you're going to have to have uh, 
four by ten headers instead of what you've got there. You got to have two by six rafters, and you you've got two by six rafters, and that won't work. And you're going to need two by eight rafters, and you're going to have to basically tear the whole thing down and start over again. Now they told him that after they got his money for the variance, that's loss of liberty. <clears throat> now I'm not speaking about him him individually. I mean, he was a man of character and moral repute. I'm speaking of us as a country. Why have we lost our liberty? We have done evil on the side of the Lord. So the Lord says, okay, there goes your liberty. There goes your liberty. I have a friend who owned a home in New Jersey. He had about four acres of land. After he bought the house, he was clearing some of the trees to make some room to expand. And some environmental nut job from the state showed up and said that the land was recently designated as protected. And he had a cease and desist. He bought the land. <laughs> he pays taxes on the land. Can't touch the land. Loss of liberty. That's a loss of liberty. Well, God said, and, and he lays out the formula very clearly, God's desire for his people is to have liberty. We lose liberty in direct proportion to the violation of the book that God has established for our benefit. Now, the thing happens spiritually. It happens spiritually. A lot of folks are laboring without liberty in their spiritual lives. I mean, look at the Pentecostals, the Seventh-day Adventists, the JWs. I mean, no liberty. There's no liberty. You know, around here, around my church and around my, the folk that I'm with, we like to enjoy our Christianity. Amen? We like to enjoy it. We like to have a good time. We appreciate it. We thank God for it. You know, we're not trying to put a bunch of rules and regulations on people all the time. You know, we're not trying to lord over people. Realizing that they're God's heritage, they're God's flock. We're just trying to preach and tell the truth and go on and trust God for, and trust God for the rest. But you know, a lot of people lose spiritual liberty, a sense of freedom God wants them to have, because they continue to live in sin. They continue to live in sin, in violation of the Word of God. You know, the more you forsake sin, the more liberty you have. So, so what the thing all amounts to is personal responsibility. Now, our forefathers, and I don't know if I'm going to get to the next four or not, but, uh, but what our forefathers had in mind when the government, with, with this whole government thing was, they had self-government. That's the whole concept. It's self-government. In other words, it's not the job of Big Brother to run around and tell you what you can do and what you can't do every minute of the day. The government has no business deciding how much water you can flush down your toilet. It's your job to rule yourself. And the more responsible people will be, the better will be. The Bible talks about ruling your own spirit, does it not? That's God's plan, God's programs, God's desire to rule myself. Now, when I forsake responsibility, then I lose liberty. Liberty begets responsibility. God requires me to be responsible. And that is not legalism. That's not God hammering you. That's just that's just that that's just that one works with the other. That's what that is. It's just one that works with the other. Personal responsibility is absolutely mandated if I'm going to maintain my liberty. I enjoy more liberty in the Lord Jesus Christ, in my salvation and in my relationship with him in direct proportion to my adherence to the responsibility with the things that he has given me. It's not things anyone else has given me. It's not the things, it's not things that Big Brother anywhere has given me. It's things the only 
potentate has given me. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. That's the thing right there. Not only does God want me to have liberty, but I believe God wants me to have happiness. Now, I know that God's people go through hills and valleys and fires and trials, and we're all very much aware of that. God has a grand design and purpose in all those things, in which we all appreciate. But the general rule, the general rule, the big picture, getting away from all of the isolated little incidents, I believe the big picture is that God wants you to be happy. God doesn't want you dragging your lip around and stumbling all over it in your Christian experience. You say, well, how do you know that? Okay, let me show you. Deuteronomy chapter 33. Deuteronomy chapter 33. You know, if you listen to some folks, they'll make you feel guilty if you're enjoying life. I mean, man, have a good time while you're here. You know, kick up your heels and say, bless God, the rapture's coming. You know, Deuteronomy 33. Deuteronomy 33. Now, don't misunderstand me. I don't mean that it's okay to go out and get a case of beer and get snockered, okay? Don't run out of here and say, Brother Joe said, you know, beer and slavery is okay, because I didn't. I didn't. Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 29. Deuteronomy 33, verse 29. Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee, O people saved by the Lord, the shield of thy help, and who is the sword of thy excellency? And thine enemies shall be found liars unto thee and thou shalt tread upon their high places. God declares to his people Israel in this passage, Happy art thou, O Israel, who is like unto thee? Now we know that Israel really isn't happy today, and that's because they've forsaken the book. They've forsaken the commandments of the Lord. But God presently, in this dispensation, has another people who have access to the book, who have access to the law, have access to the truth. And if they conform to it in personal responsibility, they can be as happy as God wants Israel to be. I mean, you're saved. Enjoy it. Don't walk around, I'm saved. <sighs> you know, some, some of God's crowd looks like they've been weaned on a dill pickle. <laughs> I mean, good night, man. Be happy in the Lord. Be happy in the Lord. I believe a loss of happiness, Lamentations, I, I believe that a loss in happiness, Lamentations, Lamentations chapter 1 teaches us, is inevitably a result of sin in my life. If I will turn from sin and ask God to help me eradicate it, even in the worst of circumstances, even when I'm at my lowest ebb in life, I can still find a good measure of happiness. Paul, man, Paul went through some stuff. A day and a night in the deep, shipwrecked, stoned, beaten, the whole nine yards, you know? But he wasn't complaining about it. He said, boy, I found some stuff with the Lord. And he was rejoicing in what God gave him. God wants you to be happy. You might as well claim it. You might as well claim it. And we're going to take a break right here. And when we come back, we'll continue on. And uh, so just stick with us right after this song.
Welcome back to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. This is Brother Joe, and we are talking about political science political science in the Bible. And I uh, just want to say, well, I'm really sorry about my voice today. I am sucking down a lot of water as we're going here. Um, let's see. So what else are we talking about here? So uh, we're talking about liberty and happiness or two inalienable rights that God has given us. And what else? Well, how about life? All right, turn to Numbers chapter 35. They said we have an unalienable right to liberty, to happiness, and life. Numbers chapter 35. I believe I have an unalienable right to life, and God is the only one who has the right to take it. Numbers chapter 35 and verse 31. Moreover, you shall take no satisfaction for the life of a murderer, which is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. Now, when a murderer murders someone and he's found convicted by a legal court, then God, in effect, is the one that's taking his life because God's the one that mandated the thing. You follow? And that's fine with me. But, you know, you know all these idiots that find an, any excuse to run around and rob and burn and loot and maim and kill... And you know what? And we put up with that nonsense. You know, they have violated an unalienable right given by God. And they should pay the price by giving their own life. I have an unalienable right to life. Somehow we've gotten this twisted perspective in America that it's more important to take life than to defend it. 
That's why up until recently, we've had a million plus abortions every year in this country. We have twisted this idea that it's more right to take life than to defend it. But wait a minute. Life, that's an unalienable right. Who gave it to me? God did. God did. You know, we knew we were really on a downhill slide in America when we decided that government had the right to take innocent life. Innocent life. They don't have that right. Only God has that right. Only God. Let me show you another one. I have the right, and my forefathers declared it was an unalienable right, and I believe it to be so, because what they did in their documents and their statements, what Samuel Adams said in November of 1772 was he took these things which were unalienable rights and tied them directly to the scriptures. He said, the way we've derived these unalienable rights, and they are in fact what they are, is by studying the scriptures. So another unalienable right is to bear arms. You say, really? Yeah, let me show you. Right here out of the Bible. Deuteronomy chapter 1. Deuteronomy chapter 1. And, uh, you know, this is, this is one area where the average conservative, you know, Hannity, Levin, NRA, flag-waving patriot misses. And even though some of them are good folks, they embrace a lot of good ideals and principles, they miss the one key ingredient, and that is they don't know where unalienable rights come from. God's people need to know. I know who gives them. It's God, not anyone else. It's not legislation. It's not Congress. It's not the will of the people. It's God Almighty, the only potentate. All right, now Deuteronomy. I said say Deuteronomy, right? Yes, I did. Deuteronomy chapter 1 and verse 40. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 40. But as for you, turn you and take your journey into the wilderness by way of the Red Sea. Then ye answered and said unto me, We have sinned against the Lord. We will go up and fight according to all that the Lord our God commanded us. And when he had girded on every man his weapons of war, you were ready to go up into the hill. Did you notice that thing? Every man was declared to have his own weapons of war. Well, who gave them that right? The lawgiver. Who took them out of Egypt. He's the one who gave every man the right to have his own weapons of war. The Bible's clear, folks. Well, yes, but that was the Old Testament. And we all know the meek, mild, passive Jesus would never endure, endorse anything like that. For he believed in peace. All right. Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22. Now, of course, you have to understand that Luke 22 probably wasn't in the originals, right? Mm-hmm. Luke chapter 22 and verse 36. Then said he unto them, But now he hath he that hath a purse, let him take it, and likewise his scrip. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. The Lord recommended buying a sword. Now I believe if the Lord Jesus were walking the earth today, he probably wouldn't say sword. He'd probably say three fifty seven Magnum or AR fifteen. Or a forty-four Magnum stainless steel, or a forty-five long coat Colt. You know, I fired one of those. All right, and boy, let me tell you, that puts a hole in things. All right. Now, this right was lost on many occasions. All right, let me show you one, just so you cast the drift. Turn over to Judges chapter five. 
Judges chapter 5. Now we're going to finish. I'm on number 4 here, and I have one more after that. And then I want to show you a couple of things really quickly. Like I said, we can run through a lot more of these, but we're majoring on these things that we hold very near and precious to us as Americans. But you see, all these unalienable rights precede America. These unalienable rights were around, given by the great lawgiver before America was even thought of to any people that would make God their God. Now, Judges chapter 5, verse 8. They chose new gods. Then was war in the gates. Was there a shield or a spear seen among 40,000 in Israel? Well, the implied answer is no. Well, what happened? Well, under Jabin, king of Canaan, as you read the text here, what happened was because they violated the laws of God, they lost their weapons. The longer we encroach upon God's standard of righteousness in this country, the more they're going to holler and scream to take away our guns. Now, any, any idiot knows it's not guns that kill people, it's people that kill people. Now, I'll tell you, how to stop this whole nonsense of, nonsense of Antifa and, 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 and of these random street shootings of innocent people and these school shootings. You take that, you take that person outside, you put them up against the wall, you hand an M16 to, a, to the family members of the person that was killed, and you put it on public television, let the whole country see it. It'll be a long time before another one of those things happen again, I'll tell you that. That'll end it. I have an unalienable right, and that's why I'm not going to give up my guns. Because I didn't get that right from government. I got it from God. I will fight for these things. There are some things that aren't worth fighting for. But some things are because we got the right from God. Well, here's another one. The ownership of private property. Now, in reality, nobody owns private property in America anymore. Because they have this thing they call property tax. And if you don't pay your property tax, you won't own your property. So in reality, you don't own it. All right, the government has a perpetual lien against it. But the Bible, the Bible advocates the ownership of private property. And in researching this message, you know, I found uh, I found an amazing quote and I want to read it to you. It's not the quote that's so amazing, but it's where it appears that makes it phenomenal. This quote appears in an encyclopedia of all places, the Encyclopedia Britannica, to illustrate the point of private property. Now, this secular encyclopedia chose to use the following Biblical illustration to demonstrate why God's people need to be concerned about the ownership of private property. And let me read to you a direct quote out of the encyclopedia. Quote, These conceptions were implicit in the incident of Naboth's vineyard as related in the Old Testament. Naboth owned a vineyard that adjoined the property of Ahab, king of Israel, in 9th century B.C. Ahab wanted the vineyard, but Naboth refused to sell it, for it was the inheritance of his father's. Jezebel, the queen, contrived through perjured testimony to have Naboth executed for treason. As Ahab took possession of the vineyard, he was met by Elijah the prophet, who pronounced doom on him, Jezebel, and his house. God, through the prophet, condemned a ruler who presumed to take property or life under an unjust law or judgment without due process. I find it phenomenal when Encyclopedia Britannica and the editors of their board sat down and reasoned that they needed some kind of concrete evidence about what ownership of private property is, and they said, well, where else can we go? And they went to the Bible. It's incredible. Amen. And the last sentence, God, through the prophet, condemned a ruler who presumed to take the property 
or life under an unjust law or judgment without due process. So now, not only do we have the property tax issue to deal with now, but now they want to declare that if you have a patch of swamp on your property, it's, it's wetlands and you can't do anything with it and it's off limits. Ownership of private property is an unalienable right derived from God. Naboth had a right to the vineyard, not Ahab the king. Why? Because God declared it. God declared it. Now, the best Republican history was Israel. Under the, under the leadership of Moses and Joshua, God had given them a perfect law that protected human rights as declared by God. They, along with others, administered the law and judged when necessary. Now, it's clear in the light of what you and I know about what's transpiring in America today, we need a new government. And I'm not advocating revolution. I am not advocating Donald Trump. I am not pushing any of those things. The one that I am pushing is the only potentate. That's what we need. Not just us, but the whole world. History has proven that even a republic disintegrates over a period of time because of new laws, and those new laws are continually introduced, and they are not God-given. Consequently, the only real, ultimate, final, perfect solution is a monarchy with a perfect lawgiver. Now, as we analyzed at the beginning, we saw that Jesus Christ is declared to be the only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. By definition, that's one with all power. He wields all power, doing as he pleases and as he chooses. Power, man, power, wonder-working power. Now, my choice for president is my same choice for king, the only potentate, the king of kings, and the lord of lords. He's the only one who can absolutely guarantee certain unalienable rights that are declared in his word. Why? Because he's all-powerful. All power is in Jesus Christ. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen. And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Don't you like that? Amen. Not only that, Jesus comes back in power. Mark chapter 13, verse 26. And then, they, and then shall they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. He's coming. He's coming, folks. And he's coming with great power. Every one of those clowns on Capitol Hill are going to recognize his power. Amen. Jesus spoke with power. Luke chapter 4, verse 32. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for his word was with power. I guess that's why folks have so much trouble with this book. It has power. Amen. Are you afraid of electricity? Well, you should be. I mean, you grab the wrong wire at the wrong time and it'll fry you. Folks are afraid of that book because it has power. More power than any 220 wire you have grabbed hold of. Jesus is the power of God. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 24. But unto them which are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. He's the power of God. He's coming back to establish his kingdom. The power of God. Jesus is far above all power. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19 to 21. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, 
but also in that which is to come. I mean, doesn't that just make you want to shout? I mean, talk about power. Christ is the head of all power, Colossians chapter 2, verse 10. And you are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. He's the head of the whole thing, and I'm complete in him. Right? Christ has everlasting power, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16. Who only hath immortality, dwelling in the light, which no man can approach unto, whom no man hath seen, nor can see, to whom be honor and power everlasting. Amen. And finally, God wants his power to be made known, to be made manifest. Romans chapter 9, verse 22. What if God, willing to show his wrath to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath fitted to destruction? Do you know how God chooses to manifest his power in this age in which we live? Now, one day he's coming back, and he's going to demonstrate his power in a whole other way and through a whole other process. He's going to come in the clouds with great power. He's going to come in great authority. But in this age in which you and I live, God has chosen to manifest his power by taking little vessels of wrath like you and I. And he endures with much long suffering on our behalf. Did you know that sometimes it takes more power to withhold than it does to act? Sometimes it takes more power to bite your tongue than to speak. That takes power. And the power of God is manifested in that he continues to exhibit long-suffering toward wayward sinners and calls them to Christ. What you witness every Sunday morning in church is the power of God. Well, how do you witness that? Well, each one of us were sometime lost, not saved. You know, we had been witnessed to, we had been dealt with, we had resisted. And God had every right by his power and authority to send lightning from the sky and sizzle us like a French fry right on the spot. But he didn't. He endured with much long suffering. That's power, folks. That's power. And you know something? I don't think I have that kind of power. But then again, God's more powerful than I am. And he endures with much long suffering. Folks, if you're not saved... God is enduring with much long-suffering, but that window is going to close one day. Would you call on the Lord Jesus Christ? Would you call on him today to be your Savior? It's not difficult. All you have to do is just close your eyes, bow your head in prayer, and say, Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me and save me. Forgive me for my sins and allow me to come into your glory and your presence in heaven. And if you pray that, and you mean that from your heart. He'll save you. He'll save you. Would you do that today, folks? And if you do, would you let me know that you did so that I could rejoice with you? It's an incredible, incredible, incredibly important thing to do. Get saved today. Get saved today. And folks, that's all the time that we have for this morning. And I want to say thank you so much to everyone that has tuned in. Um, looking forward to being with you again next week. Don't forget to uh, go onto our website, swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Send us a message, a prayer request, and keep those folks on our prayer list in prayer. And until we see each other again next week, may God bless you and keep you. Have a great, great day. Take care.
You've been listening to the Sword of the Spirit podcast. If you have any questions or comments, visit our website at swordofthespiritpodcast.com and send us a message. Or email us directly at info at swordofthespiritpodcast.com. Until next time, God bless you and good day. Well, that's about it, really. The film ends mainly visually.